This morning, I've woken up to the news of a celebrity, a male celebrity, unfortunately uh, committing suicide, uh, a famous celebrity from Bollywood that has committed suicide. And before I could even look into the whole aspect of why, what's the reason, what's behind it, there is already quite a lot of backlash and stigma from certain, not all, let's just put a close out there, certain uh, religious followers, leaders, um, giving their particular views. Now, some of the analogy and analysis that they're giving is pointing towards faith and religion and implying that um, we need to pray more. I agree. I agree with some of the comments. Um, but also blaming some of the uh, incidences on this particular person's actions that obviously have sadly left led to his death, uh, being partly to blame because of his social media presence and the fact that he was famous in regard to his status and his wealth and basically that we are a culture that is always wanting more and never satisfied. Before I even look at those particular issues, I want to just address, I'm going to put religion aside, I'm going to put culture aside, I'm going to put tradition aside, and I just want to focus on this whole aspect of being a human being first before uh, we look at the inner depths of what is going on. Certainly, as a counsellor, as someone who's been through counselling myself and has been through the whole process of CBT because when you're training to be a counsellor you have to actually voice up some issues of yourself you have to be open and honest with your fellow counsellees and with your fellow uh, psychotherapists before you can even be considered as a counsellor now most of us are counselling from an aspect of life and wisdom we don't necessarily also have to have the qualification to be able to counsel some of us do need it okay because some of us do lack that wisdom and we are um, I guess not liberal-minded not open-minded we can be judgmental in when we do counsel others again another issue that arises but what um, what I'm focusing on is this whole aspect of why there seems to be sadly a huge spike a huge increase in the number of deaths uh, especially by suicide that's happening to our male counterparts to our male uh, young boys young men adults why is this now becoming a big thing is it because it wasn't happening before is it because now that because of the social media influx that you have that you know if there's an article that's out there a video a podcast like i'm doing it's so quick to be able to share that news globally and internationally that you can't help escape that knowledge or that information about sadly that person's death is that the reason or is it the fact that we are unfortunately witnessing listening hearing uh, seeing with our own eyes or maybe sadly we are part of that family where this has happened to someone that's in our in our you know community a loved one it could be our son it could be our nephew it could be our cousin it could be our brother it could be our father it could be our grandfather all those roles could be a close friend it could be anybody that we know that is unfortunately facing a very very difficult situation where sadly suicide for them seems to be the way out so let's look at why this is happening let's look at those issues 
So firstly, many people will label uh, depression, you know, it starts with depression, understandably. But some people don't really understand the dynamics of what depression is. They see it as being like a disease or a mental disorder. They think that maybe it's a, it's a function within your brain. Maybe it's a syndrome within your brain or a psychological aspect of yourself that isn't quite right. And perhaps you need medication to, um, you know, deal with that. There are quite a lot of um, psychotherapists out there that b believe, you know, that you have to look at whether depression falls under two particular categories. And that's whether it's unbipolar or unipolar, should I say, or bipolar. Now, these are aspects of uh, a particular medical model that are used by psychotherapists. And when they're looking at psychiatry and psychology, they look at partic particular models um, to follow in order to be treat such symptoms of anxiety and depression uh, manifestations that particular individuals may have, you know. And obviously it takes quite a lot to even come to that stage before you even start treating the person or looking at why um, these particular situations have happened. And, you know, there's a lot of research out there if you look into this. They look at the whole aspect of the medical treatment to try and help um, with the suppression of some of these anxiety issues that unfortunately are repeating and reoccurring and the individual cannot break free from them. In fact, sometimes it's so uh, bad, the medicine just doesn't work. You know, they'll have various things that they try from counselling to, uh, to trying different therapies. And, you know, sometimes the medication, it seems to be the only uh, sort of solution in those particular models. At the end of the day, it's quite clear that the human being that's suffering from the depression, the anxiety that then leads to the more serious aspect of um, the mental health, you know, from wanting to commit suicide, that in itself is a huge uh, leap. You know, nobody jumps from a small amount of depression to a large amount and then wanting to commit suicide. It is a gradual thing that happens over time. It is a build-up. Okay, yes, there might be a 10% of situations that occur where unfortunately they are in a severe situation of depression that they can't get themselves out of it. And these could be huge milestones that have occurred in their life. So, for example, things like uh, financial loss. They could have lost their job. They could have lost their home. They might be facing bankruptcy. Um, it could be that they're in predicaments where unfortunately they might have been in a bad accident. They might have injured someone, injured themselves. The life situations is what I'm saying is sometimes uh, makes people go, go into that particular corner. There was a recent case where I was trying to help a young uh, individual and basically he wanted to commit suicide and he wasn't dealing with the inner issues. He was having reoccurring nightmares, reoccurring trauma from his past. And he could not deal with it. He was unable to understand why this was happening to him. And he was in absolute pieces. And to him, suicide seemed to be the only way out. Um, this is what is happening to our men in our community, our young men, our uh, middle-aged men, our older men, and even the young boys within our generation. They are, whether it's culturally stigmatised or whether it's traditional or uh, society sort of stigmatised, that they shouldn't really discuss, you know, they, they have prob that they have problems. And that's wrong. 
they should be able to speak up they should be able to voice that they're struggling uh, some of this is down to the fact that you know you've got roles within society clear stipulated roles that are you know repeatedly enforced that no a woman shouldn't do this and no a man shouldn't do this there are labels and talking about your issues talking about the fact that you're struggling or suffering again it comes back to gender as well and reinforcing or re-stigmatizing the fact that because you're a particular gender you should not be discussing uh, mental health issues or the fact that you're struggling these are things you should keep inside and keep them bottled up that now that can apply to both sexes to be fair but the male counterparts unfortunately seem to have this whole stigma from society that does not unfortunately help okay and sadly these th issues you know whether it's anxiety whether it's depression where it's the chronic pain uh, they could be fatigue it could be headaches it, they could be having panic attacks they could be having issues with their bowels uh, insomnia these are all believe it or not stress triggers and they can start at particular aspects they can start small and they can escalate and sometimes we don't really understand what our body is telling us you know your body has quite a lot of information about stress and it's telling you something is not quite right okay and there are there are studies out there you can go and do some research on that yourself okay about what is occurring now the main topic as i said is looking at why this aspect of depression especially in our young men is happening more and more okay so there was um research done in fact there was an article by a lady called helene schumacher it was produced in um march of 2019 when it was becoming more and more clear that unfortunately young men um are committing suicide and you know what you're seeing now on the news what you're seeing now in the media is reiterating that more so what can we do about it why is it occurring let's look at some of those issues um according to this article by this lady um the who which is the world health organization they estimated in 2019 that there was an estimated 793 suicide deaths uh, sorry 793,000 suicide deaths worldwide and they were men okay and the suicide rate within the UK was at its lowest between 1981 it was only 15.4 deaths per 100,000 okay now when i say only i'm not trying to be um derogatory i'm not trying to be rude i'm not trying to be um you know putting that death as if it's not significant of course it is but what i'm saying is at the moment there seems to be a huge rapid increase in comparison to the studies that have been done in regards to women okay now obviously sometimes these studies aren't necessarily recorded some deaths aren't recorded as such and it is a very very sensitive topic it's a complex topic and nobody's disputing that all right mental health awareness over i would say over the last eight ten years definitely has grown from my own experience um when i you know several years ago i think it was over uh five years ago nearly six years ago should i say i um was having issues with my employer and i ended up doing like um a court well like a court case i guess to step away from my employer and people were involved 
like the union, the barristers, um, basically got to a situation where um, I terminated my contract. It was a mutual termination of contracts because there was a lot of bullying and harassment going on in the workplace, despite all the evidence clearly pointing at the fact that my employer was trying very hard to basically get me removed not because of what I had done, not because of the fact that I wasn't a good employer. Uh, they didn't want to pay me the higher tax pay and um, they didn't want to basically sort out the resolution to um, the fact that I should have moved up the pay scale. And what they decided to do was just find evidence to support the fact that I wasn't performing as I should have done, which was clearly the opposite. Okay, and it was during that process I had to I had to go to my doctor. I was advised to go to my doctor by my union and obviously went through the medical route of going for stress counselling. Now that in its sense, you know, I'm talking about the UK system, that in its sense was something that was quite interesting because um initially their whole aspect of dealing with stress at that time was that you had to go and attend some courses. Now, it was quite weird, to be fair. Um, I struggled. I had huge anxiety at the time. I had struggled with even getting in my car, getting in the building, let alone go and go attend counselling sessions and be educated on my symptoms. To me, okay, I could see what the medical practitioners were doing. I could see what they were trying to do. But they didn't understand that for, for me and probably quite a lot of other people, it was extremely difficult just going into the building, let alone attending the course. And then in a way, feeling like you're being patronised, you know, because of the fact that someone's dictating to you that this is stress and this is stress and this is what it does to your body. There was the other part of me that finally was able to end, attend those courses and if I didn't, I wouldn't be able to go to the next step of CBT, which was cognitive behavioural therapy. Now, that, in a way, it tells you a lot about the medical system and the medical application within certain countries, doesn't it? That before we actually will give you the therapy and the help you need, obviously, we have got huge mental health issues within our community and with our, within our wider community and across the whole of the country and we're struggling and therefore we're having to do a quick fix of getting you in and attending lectures in a, in a way, like you're back at university. There was even a course pack, there was worksheets, you were expected to do homework. I'm struggling at this point, you know, and homework on uh, stress and my symptoms was the least thing that was on my mind. But this is what I was expected to do in order to be taken seriously for more mental health um, uh, access. And it's um, if you look at it, it says quite a lot. I'm not trying to be horrible about the system. I'm not trying to be disrespectful about the system. I appreciate all the efforts that they do. I appreciate the fact they've put something in place. But also, I'm looking at the bigger, wider aspect of having gone through the system myself. Now, I was only able to attend those courses because I was pushed by my friends and encouraged by my friends that, yes, you need to do this. And this is someone who is a trained counsellor themselves, who, who knows exactly what is going on with myself, who knows exactly what my symptoms are, and what my diagnosis is. But I'm struggling also, you know. And eventually, when you did this six-week course that you had to attend regularly, you know, with other people, you can imagine a lot of people dropped out, some didn't. You know, were those people caught up in the system? Were they, were they seen as like, you know, they, they need help? 
Were they tracked? Was somebody chasing them as in, you know, come on, you need help. Let's look at other alternative ways. I remember getting weekly questionnaires coming through my post of uh, doing a, and it's part of CBT, I get that. But there was a chart I had to fill in about my symptoms. And a lot of them said, uh, on a scale of one to 10, how suicidal do you feel? And, you know, imagine imagine somebody being in a far worse predicament that I was in. Are they honestly, are they realistically going to tell you that they're thinking of contemplating suicide? Because a majority of people that I met through my CBT course honestly would not dictate that. And a piece of paper um, dictating that to you or to someone else, you're not necessarily going to share it. Okay, so there are issues in that system. And that's that was the UK model that unfortunately I came across. Now, later on, I ended up having, um, you know, uh, a, a caseworker who interviewed me, who looked at my situation with my employer. Uh, I made it clear what my issues were to this particular person. And also then I had more CBT, which was more intense. And that was what I actually had needed. I had needed CBT with a group and then I had CBT individually. However, it took probably 10 months, probably more to just even get me to that stage. And like I said, I had to jump through all those hoops to be heard. Now, some of these individuals that sadly are committing suicide, where are they in that ladder of help? You know? And luckily for me, when I did get to the CBT stage and the therapy stage, it clicked one day. It clicked what I needed to do. And I changed my method. I changed my mode of thinking. I changed the whole dynamics of my life because I, I faced some things from my past. But I was in a position where I was able to do that. There were individuals that were coming to that um, CBT that weren't. And everybody, like I said, deals with it in their own way. Okay, they really do deal with it in their own way. Now, going back to the topic of what we're talking about, you know, sadly, there's a lot of risk factors for people within the community. There is a stigma that we'll all have heard where we say, and I quote, boys don't cry, unquote. And that whole concept is drilled into these young men, into these conditions, and they're conditioned from a young age, not to express emotion that is like that, that signifies weakness, I guess. And it's not weakness. It's the fact that you are expressing that you have issues, that you're expressing that you have things going on, okay? And unfortunately, men are unlikely to admit when they feel vulnerable. I've known several men uh, within working career, within my personal life, within you know people that I've come across you can clearly see that they're struggling they're struggling with depression they're struggling with um unable to cope with the demands of life okay and they are unfortunately at a greater risk right now when we're facing covid sadly um i have seen more and more deaths by men by men and some of that is down to the fact that they are unable to perhaps, you know, there is still that um, concept of their being, them being the male provider. So there is the whole pressure on the young man to provide for the family, to provide financial support, whether it's sending money back home to a different country or whether it's helping his young family 
and putting food on the table, uh, whether it's paying the bills, paying the rent, paying the mortgage. And, you know, right now, as you're aware, with COVID, things are extremely difficult. Some countries like the United Kingdom, uh, they've allowed or permitted, I guess, some sort of um, salary relief up to a certain period of time. For example, you know, some people are able to claim money from the government, whether they're self-employed or not. It's perhaps there are gaps in the system where it's not been applicable to all. In the USA, um, you know, people were able to get some sort of funding from the government as long as they had recorded their tax income and tax returns. They were able to claim back £1,200, sorry, $1,200 from the government. In some cases where it was a family, they might have claimed back $5,000 these are like tax reliefs. Each country will be doing their own thing. Some countries have, um, you know, reduced the tax rate on property or rental, your rental incomes. They've reduced it. Um, they've stipulated laws about not cutting salaries or uh, not cutting, um, you know, salary incomes, making sure people have that. And in other cases, that is not the case. They whether the law is there or not, some people have unfortunately demanded rent, demanded um, bills to be paid. You know, certain people have had uh, electricity cut off and gas cut off because the landlords or the tenants or whoever's looking after the building have demanded that you pay the rent, otherwise go out. Where are, the, where are you going to go to when most places are unfortunately in this moment in time uh, stuck. There's no flights as such. There's no repatriation flights. There are lots and lots of situations, lots of uh, sorry, lots of circumstances like now, where this is happening, and it's impacting. Like I said, mainly on the males. Okay, there is a lot of um, factors happening, and when you know people sadly are taking that final stance then sadly they're facing more harsh criticism and judgmentality from the community or the society that they belong to. Now, there's not going to be a quick fix for this situation overnight. Within the United Kingdom, you know, I was seeing more and more, because I worked in education, still work in education, I was seeing a huge um, decrease in the number of um, places where teenagers, for example, could go. So, for example, a lot of them are hanging around on street corners, causing, you know, causing issues or hanging about with their friends. That's another topic for another time. But the facilities that were made available for them, the youth centres, the education centres, whether it was um, going to their local mosque or church for some sort of community workshops, you know, the, the religion side was definitely supporting it, um, you know, the financial cutbacks, okay? But youth centres, sporting centres, even local swimming pools, local health facilities, they were all closing down. I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that because it's not just an issue that happens within the United Kingdom. It happens in America. It happens to other places as well. These, these particular places are places where our youths, our young men, our older men should be able to go and talk and speak. Okay. And in each culture, in each society, it doesn't matter if you are within the United Kingdom, internationally, whether you are um, in America. You know, at the moment, for example, I'm in the Middle East and I'm still seeing this impact of the, you know, more and more people are trying their hardest to set up facilities, 
to set up institutions perhaps where they've not existed before. Now, some possible solutions are, you know, in Australia, for example, the mental health and suicide prevention groups are trying to shift, I guess, from the culture of, you know, oh, you've got to be a, got to be a man, you know, and they're doing this whole um, action where guys who are working in construction, especially, are um, gaining sort of an initiative called Are You OK? And it's encouraging people that are struggling with life and struggling with uh, situations like I've discussed already to open up. And I think that is that's making a start, isn't it? That's making a positive start going forward. OK, um, nowadays, obviously, there is a lot more uh, projects out there. OK, that are helping to prevent uh, suicide. So within the United Kingdom, we've got Samaritans, we've got Childline. Yes, they're aimed for younger people, but there are other helplines out there as well. Okay, there are other projects that have come out. There's a project called Calms, um, sorry, a Calms comp- campaign called Project Eighty Four. So, this was um, within the UK, and this was because the name was because eighty four men would die weekly by suicide in the UK, and it was saying about you know the try and reach out to people that can counsel you, that can console you. Because sometimes, sadly, you know, you're unable to talk to family and friends, okay? Now, sometimes um, those situations have happened where people have been more preventative, okay? So around certain bridges, for example, within the UK, they've put barriers around them now to try and stop people from jumping, you know, from the bridges. And um, once they did that, the deaths um, stopped. I can remember being on the tube in London. And I'm from the north, as you can probably hear from my accent. I'm from Sheffield originally. And I can recall being on the tube several times when I visited, uh, you know, the big old smoke, as we call it. And the passengers on that tube being so hostile and so rude because their journey has been interrupted because someone has decided to commit suicide. And the reaction they get is, oh, my God, they better hurry up and clean it up. I'm late for work. Don't they realise they're disturbing my journey? These are just some comments I personally have heard. And that tells you, doesn't it, the stigma and it tells you the uh, lack of empathy, lack of understanding and basically the selfishness that some individuals, not all, some individuals unfortunately have for people that have, you know, got to that desperate stage where they are, unfortunately, facing that as an only option. You know, we need to stop being judgmental. At the beginning of this recording, I talked to you about some religious people doing their own stance. And I said to you at the start, I'm not going to look at it from a religious point of view because I don't want to get into that whole topic. I'm looking at it from a human being and a compassionate point of view, you know, because unfortunately this stigma attached in quite a lot of faiths, of course there are, about the whole point of suicide, okay? But the main thing is we've got to try and help our youth. We've got to try and help our young men, our young boys, our young adults to go forward and to understand that there is help out there for them, okay? There is um, help through whether it's talking to a friend, whether it's talking to a close friend that understands, or whether it's reaching out for help before it gets to this stage where unfortunately you're looking at suicide being the only option 
I'm going to give a couple of phone numbers out that I hope help somebody because you never know they might need it. So if you are from the UK and Ireland, there's a company called the Samaritans. They're open 24 hours a day. You can call them on 116-123, okay? Or you can email them to joe at samaritans.org. There is another campaign which is called CALM, the Campaign Against Living Miserably. And they offer support to, to men. Again, this is a UK number. But you can call them on 0800 58 58 58 between 5 o'clock and midnight every day. And they've got a web chat page available as well. In America, there is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That's 1-800-273-TALK or 8255. Okay. There is also a crisis text line that you can call. So... Um, you can call that by um, dialing or texting 741-741. In Australia, there is Lifeline. You can, you can get in touch with Lifeline on 131114. Again, they're available to call on, online if you look them up. Okay. In Canada, if you're in a crisis, it's, the number is 1-833-4566. Dash four five six dash four five six six, or four three five seven, or you can text four five six four five. Okay, there are lots and lots of help out there, and I appreciate the ones that I've talked about are from the UK, Australia, America, Canada. I am sure there will be some numbers for the country that you are um, in at the moment. Maybe there isn't that you can get access to, but you've got, like I said, a community of friends. You've got people uh, near to you that can help as well. Don't think you're on your own. Depression is one of those things where, unfortunately, you think you're on your own and you're not. One of those people can change their lives forever by just reaching out. And it's never too late to reach out. It's never too late for ask for help. Nobody is going to, you know, frown on you. Nobody is going to look at you in a bad way. There are people that still care, that still love and still show compassion and you are not on your own. And please, please, no matter what the situation you are in, speak up. Instead of swallowing your pain, please speak up so that we can help you and we can help you move forward with your issues. God bless. Take care. Stay safe, everybody. And let's hope uh, and pray that our young men and women, but young men in particular, are not in this situation um, again. God bless.